There is a home, a restorative home for women that are coming off the streets, coming out of sexual exploitation and drug addiction in the Nashville area, and it's called Thistle Farms. And their theme is Love Heals. If you go on their website, you can check out all the products that they sell. I encourage you to support these um, brave survivors, um, but you will find these lines. Love is the most powerful force in the world. Love has the power to heal. And I would add to that as they would proclaim as well. Jesus' love has the power to heal. We are in chapters 8, 9, and 10 of Matthew this week, and we're seeing Jesus coming down from the mountain after proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of heaven. He's revealed his authority through his teaching, and he will now reveal his authority through his works of restoration, through healing all kinds of diseases, exercising demons, restoring nature, forgiving sins, hallelujah, and bringing the dead to life. Here we see Jesus bringing the kingdom of heaven into people's everyday lives. He's restoring the brokenness that came with the fall, bringing new life to those who receive him as king. In chapters 8 and 9, we find three trios of miracles. And so we're seeing Jesus clearly in his works. He's a healer. First, he heals a leper. Michael Card says, that leprosy was a living parable for sin. It meant you were unclean. You couldn't live with your family or work in the community or attend worship. You had to wear torn clothes, cover the lower part of your face, and call out, unclean, wherever you went. So this man was likely heartbroken, disfigured, and had been living in complete isolation. According to Jewish tradition, the leprous man should not have approached Jesus, and Jesus should not touch him, but, oh, Jesus does, and I'm sure ever so tenderly. And what does the man ask for when he comes to Jesus but to be made clean? And so Jesus declares him so. He says, be clean, and the man is healed instantly. What's interesting here is that Jesus is not made unclean. He does not contract leprosy. His cleanness <laughs> overcomes any uncleanness. Um, Jesus asks the man not to tell anyone, but to sure, be sure to go to the priest so that he can be declared clean and then return to life within the community. This first miracle points powerfully to Jesus' ability to forgive sin. Then we see Jesus healing the Roman centurion's slave. It's interesting to note that archaeologists have uncovered a Roman military outpost that was just outside Capernaum. And you should know that a Roman centurion oversaw 100 soldiers. He was wealthy and powerful and obviously know, has a lot of authority and knows what it's like to have authority. Jesus is willing to go to the centurion's house, a Gentile household, in order to heal his slave, who is paralyzed, possibly with polio. Jesus is willing to set aside Jewish tradition in order to show compassion. Jesus commends the centurion for his great faith and welcomes him into the kingdom, saying that he will be able to sit down at the table with the patriarchs. 
And then he also warns Jews that think they are just automatically in the kingdom because of their ethnicity. He says that this is not the case. Jesus does just as the centurion asks, and just with a word, he is able to make this slave well, just with his word from afar, not even having to be present with him. So beautiful. And then we see Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law. She has a fever, something that would be very serious during this time and, and was possibly malaria. Jesus touches her and the fever <laughs> leaves her. And what else does she do? <laughs> but she gets up to serve Jesus. It's interesting as well that archaeologists believe they've uncovered Peter's home and there were markings on the walls that were found all these years later with Peter's name and saying Jesus is Lord. And they believe that there was a house church there for over 300 years. So it's interesting. Maybe this is the beginning of the first gathering of the, that early church community when people come there and, and Jesus receives all who come and he heals the sick and he casts out demons just with his word. Matthew declares ever so boldly here that Jesus is fulfilling Isaiah 53, 4, when he says he himself took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. And I think, oh, <laughs> we are the ones where Jesus has borne our weaknesses, our brokenness, our sin sickness. And with a word, <laughs> he makes us clean. So we're seeing how Jesus restores people's body, mind, and soul. What I also want you to remember as well is that the leper, the Roman centurion, and his slave, and the woman, none of these could have entered into the temple courts to worship. They were all outsiders, outcasts, those people that, that people would just pass by in their time. These are the ones that come to Jesus and trust in him. They are the irreligious and the lowly. Jesus has compassion for all, and we see that he does not put people into categories, whether they are Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, slave or free, male or female, young or old. All are invited. And then we see the cost of following Jesus. When a scribe comes to him and says, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus wants to let him know <laughs> that it's not going to be a life of comfort. He says, are you willing to follow one, a teacher who is homeless? <laughs> and then another man wants to follow Jesus, but says he must go and bury his father first. And Jesus says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Jesus makes it clear that family cannot come before their love for him. He is Lord of all, and he lays claim to our lives. We must hear that Jesus knows people's hearts. He speaks to their greatest struggles and deepest needs. So he's seeking to encourage one to just understand what he's entering into in another, to really leave everything behind. Then we see in the second trio, Jesus calming the storm. Jesus and his disciples are traveling to the other side of the Sea of Galilee when a violent, furious storm 
comes across the lake. Though four of the disciples were fishermen who were, were experienced at being out on that lake and seeing storms rush over the mountains as they often did, they are terrified that this storm will be, bring the end of them. Jesus gets up and rebukes the wind and the sea. And just as Jesus rebukes demons and they obey, Jesus speaks to this deadly storm and it is immediately overcome. The winds stop. The sea becomes completely calm. You must note that we must note that during this time, the Jews considered the sea a place of darkness and evil. And so this must have been in the disciples' minds when they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And I would say the answer is that he is God. <laughs> he is God. And he has power over nature and over evil. If you have time, check out Psalm 107, verses 23 to 30. I'll read verses 29 and 30. He stilled the storm to a murmur, and the waves of the sea were hushed. They rejoiced when the waves grew quiet. Then he guided them to the harbor they longed for. Jesus is God, Lord of all, and he is the haven that we long for. Then we see Jesus healing two demonized men. Jesus and his disciples arrive on the other side of the lake to the region called the Decapolis, or Ten Cities, which was founded by the Romans to assert their control in this area. We know that this is a Gentile area because of the, the herd of pigs that are there later in the story. These men live in the cemetery by the lake. They are violent, and so others stay away. Once again, Jewish tradition would say that contact with the dead would make a, a Jewish person unclean. So this would be the last place that they would want to go into a cemetery. Um... But the, the demons inside these men shout out, Son of God, have you come to torture us before the appointed time? They know who Jesus is, and they know that he has authority over them. The demons ask to be sent in the herd of pigs, and once again, with one word, go. <laughs> Jesus does so. The pigs panic, rush over the steep bank into the lake, and drown. What Satan wanted for Jesus and his disciples has happened to the pigs. So Jesus has power over nature, power over evil, over demons, and Satan. As a side note here, what people call demon control in Jesus' time, and often around the world today, modern Western medicine would give various diagnoses. Mental illness or epilepsy, possibly. But there are situations where demon control would still be the best explanation. I would encourage you not to focus on the de demonic because when you do so, you give it power. Have you ever had a friend in your life that talks a lot about, oh, Satan is up to this and up to that, and there seems to be lots of focus. I would encourage you and remind you that the best way to defeat Satan is to worship the true God. Our God, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. My dear fellow teacher and friend Julie says that when she writes Satan's name down in her notes, she never capitalizes the S and she always writes his name very small. And I would say she's got the right kind of perspective. Satan is not all-knowing, all-present, or all-powerful. Only God is. 
And we see this here. The demons know this. They know their fate. They know that they will be cast by God into the lake of fire in the future. Now, the Gentiles of this area are not celebrating that these two men have been restored, but are upset at the loss of this great herd of pigs. One commentator said it could possibly have been 2,000 pigs, which is a lot. So Jesus has brought great financial loss to their community. He's upset their lives. They plead with him to leave, and he does. Then we see Jesus healing a paralyzed man. Jesus gets back into the boat, returns to Capernaum. And as Matthew often does, his version here of this healing is much shorter than what we find in the Gospels of Mark and Luke. He leaves out the part where the friends carry this man and tear back the roof to, to get him to Jesus. But we do see in all these accounts that Jesus is impressed by the faith of these friends. And he heals the paralyzed man. He, what he does first is declare that his sins are forgiven. Once again, Michael Card says that sin is actually the worst kind of paralysis. Yet we know from the scriptures that not all illness is the result of personal sin. But he, the situation here is that scri the scribes are offended when Jesus claims to forgive this man's sin, saying that only God can do that. They think Jesus is blaspheming, insulting the honor of God and his name. The penalty for blasphemy was stoning um, death <laughs> to the death. <laughs> Jesus reveals his authority to forgive sin then by healing this man. He says, get up, and the man does. And then the people praise God for the authority that has been given to Jesus. And then right here in the middle of all these healings, we see this Matthew's own miracle, his calling. He was a tax collector. He collected taxes for Rome. He was a local, just like, you know, the tax collectors would be locals that collected taxes for, for Rome from their own countrymen. And then they were also... Um, they also sought to keep order in the area. They would collect taxes plus extra as their own commission, and so they were hated by their fellow Jews and seen as thieves. Herod Antipas received $5 million a year from the areas of Galilee and Perea. So we have to know there were lots, the taxes were high. The tax collectors were also seen as ceremonially unclean because of their contact with Gentiles and because they worked on the Sabbath. Yet, Jesus invites Matthew, to, the tax collector, to be his disciple. And then he goes to Matthew's house to have a, a meal with his friends. Now, table fellowship was very significant in the ancient world. And it was a very communal society, not like our individualistic society. So you were known by your community, your friends, your family. And when Jesus sits down at the table with these tax collectors, they're de he's declaring that these are my people. <laughs> and so the religious leaders think that Jesus is condoning their unlawful behavior. And they ask, why is he eating with those sinners? And Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. The Pharisees think that they are healthy before God. Righteous, because they seek to keep the law. Obedience is their sacrifice, but they are blind to their own sinfulness. And Jesus says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. 
Jesus does offer mercy and wants to offer salvation to all who receive it, but the Pharisees reject him. They don't see their need for a savior. Then we see in Matthew 9, 14 to 17, three images that talk about following Jesus in contrast to the religious traditions. And here we see that the old way of following the religious law is not able to contain the ways of the new kingdom that Jesus brings. Then we have the third trio. Jesus heals this sick woman and raises a girl from the dead. A leader of the synagogue comes to Jesus pleading for him to save his daughter's life. And on the way, Jesus is interrupted by a woman who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. She touches the tassels of Jesus' zisith, his prayer shawl. Power goes out from Jesus to heal her. And he says, have courage, daughter. Your faith has made you well. He turns this woman's life upside down. Having this issue of bleeding had made her ceremonially unclean. And nobody had touched her, likely, for 12 years. So Jesus heals her body and her entire life. And once again, we see that Jesus is not made unclean, but he makes her clean. Then when he arrives at the home of the, the synagogue leader, the young girl is already dead. But Jesus says, oh no, she's just sleeping. He takes her hand and the girl gets up. So here we see once again, Jesus has power over sin and even death. And he compassionately touches those who were considered unclean, a dead person, a bleeding person. And now news of Jesus' power <laughs> and his compassion is spreading all over Galilee. And here I must ask you this question. Do you need Jesus' healing touch today? I encourage you to ask him for it. And then this, is there someone in your life that others consider unclean? or outcasts. Others avoid them, but that you could be the one to offer Jesus' healing touch. Then we see Jesus healing two blind men. These blind men follow Jesus shouting the best prayer ever, have mercy on us, son of God. Oh, he is a king of mercy and loves to give it to those who ask it. And I love that they see him as the Messiah when they call him the son of David. So Jesus heals them and then says, be sure that no one knows about it. But the blind men that can now see <laughs> spread the news about what Jesus has done wherever they go. They cannot contain their joy. And then we see Jesus healing the mute man. He casts out the demon that makes this man mute, and he is able to speak. And the crowds marvel. But the Pharisees claim that Jesus casts out demons by the ruler of demons. Despite the clear proofs through his word and works that Jesus is the Messiah, they are the blind ones, refusing to see. And they use their mouths to speak lies. And I wish we could have known what were the first words out of this man's mouth, the mute man who'd been healed. <laughs> I have a feeling he was, he was not speaking lies about who Jesus was. And then we have a sweet passage here revealing Jesus as the compassionate shepherd. His ministry is sum summarized once again as that of teaching, announcing the good news of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and disease. 
And we see Jesus' compassion. He looks out at the people and he says, Oh, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Harried and helpless. One version says, weary and worn out. And he cares deeply. And then what is his response? He says to his disciples, Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Jesus invites his followers to join in his work of shepherding. And then he also makes it clear to them that the the harvest is the Lord's. And before we move into chapter 10, where Jesus actually does send out the 12, let's just stop and notice (laughs) how Jesus is revealed here as Lord of all, Lord over nature, over disease, evil, and death. When he enters into people's everyday lives, he brings healing, forgiveness, victory over evil, and resurrection life. He is worthy of our trust in every situation. He is worthy of our service. Why? (laughs) Because of who he is and because of what what he's done, that he can make the dirtiest of sinners clean. (laughs) Hallelujah for that. And I pray that we would be ones, when people look at our lives, would be able to say, oh, they're not weary and worn out, harried and helpless. They're ones who are trusting, they're walking with their good shepherd. So then in Matthew 10, Jesus does send out the 12. This is the second of five discourses that are interspersed throughout Matthew's gospel. He begins in verses 1 to 15 by giving instructions for the short-term mission to Israel. He sends out the 12 with his authority to do what he's been doing, teaching and healing, casting out demons, bringing the good news, offering hope and life to others. They are to go without provisions, trusting. They will be welcomed and given hospitality. They are to expect both acceptance and rejection. Where they're received, they're to pronounce peace. Where they're rejected, they're to leave, shaking the dust off their feet, leaving the judgment of others to God. In the instructions for the long-term mission to the world, we see Jesus continuing to prepare and warn his disciples well. They should expect acceptance and rejection, as well as trouble, persecution, and a spiritual battle. They are to be both innocent and shrewd, knowing that they are like sheep among wolves. When they are brought before governors and kings, they are to trust that the Father will give them just the right words to speak. They are not to be surprised when families are dissolved because of varying responses to Jesus. Jesus says he comes not to bring peace, but a sword. Once again, love for Christ is to take priority over love for family. Like Jesus, his followers will be accused of doing Satan's work, but they are not to fear. They are to proclaim Jesus' words from the housetops, and they are to trust that God the Father will faithfully watch over them, just as he watches over the sparrow in the sky. And Jesus says, oh, dear ones, he knows the number of hairs on each of your heads. So here we're seeing that God, for God the Father, nothing is too small for him to care about and nothing is too big for him to handle. And then I will conclude with these powerful and challenging verses. 
verses 38 and 39 of chapter 10, where Jesus says, And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus says that a true disciple denies his own self-will and embraces God's will, no matter what the cost. Jesus and the kingdom he brings are so wonderful that his followers give up everything else and give their lives in service to him. So I must ask, are we setting aside our own will and submitting to the Lord's will? moment by moment, day by day? And have we left everything to follow Jesus? I'll conclude with a story about Father Damien, who was a, a missionary from Belgium who went all the way to Hawaii in the 1870s and 1880s to serve Jesus. And he volunteered to serve in a leper colony. At that time, just as in Jesus' time, there was no cure for leprosy. There was no medicine for it like we have now. And so people were quarantined. And Father Damien chose to go and make his life, uh, to offer his life in service to Jesus there. And he transformed this desperate community in the work that he did and the way that he cared for the people. His goal was to let these people know that they were not throwaway people, they were not outcasts, that they were precious in the Lord's eyes. And then lo and behold, unlike Jesus, Father Damien contracted leprosy, and so he gave his life there. And so I think, oh, what example he, he was. He must have known the beautiful healing and forgiveness and new life that Jesus gave to him and then in return offered his life and service back to the Lord. And he trusted in Jesus as the good shepherd and was willing to follow wherever the shepherd led him to the glory of God the Father. Amen.